funny, it sure does feel like it takes us a while to get around to the subject of discussing or debating the backup goaltending. And then every May, it ends up being a really, really big deal. So this year, I'm going to flip the script and get at it right away. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll take the time to check out. Casey DeSmith is, for the record, an unrestricted free agent. And I'll fast forward to the punchline here. I'd rather see the team address the backup goaltending position a lot more seriously, invest more money into it than the million dollars that DeSmith has been getting and what he'll surely get after this, and put themselves into a much safer position at their most important position going into the next playoffs. Now, that's Captain Obvious stuff, right? Even if you're the biggest Casey fan around, this isn't something that's going to knock you over. However, as one might expect in a salary cap league, it's not nearly that simple. And there's a reason that Ron Hextall will come back at you with cap, 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 with almost any subject that you bring up, as he did earlier this week in his end-of-season press conference. Because, without getting into all of the individual dollars and the different scenarios surrounding Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, Ricard Raquel, every dollar that gets chipped away from the broader pool, which is somewhere in the $20 range, depending on how much you as a GM want to enter the following season with, meaning just safe walking around money. Everything that you give to Smith above what he made this past season is going to cut into not only what you can pay those guys, but also, and I think much more importantly, what you can offer to Tristan Jari in a long-term extension. And yeah, the starter's an issue in this too. Jari's likely going to wind up, I think, in the five to six million dollar range. And that might even be underselling it because if you look at some of the bigger contracts that are out there for star goaltenders, and I'm not ready to put Jari in that category, but if you look at what the stars are getting and you see the seven, eights, and the nines, that pulls the scale upward for everybody at the position. And the only way to mitigate that from the team perspective is to, you know, add term, add years. But how long do you really want to go? Do you want to go for some kind of crazy, you know, eight, nine year deal? And we've seen those get distributed and take a gamble on a goaltender who, I mean, look, nobody loved what Jari did this past regular season more than I did, and I wouldn't come within a solar system of blaming him for how it ended on his end, especially since he battled to come back and play Game 7 and play pretty well on a broken foot. But the ice-cold fact in this is that you still don't know 
what kind of a playoff goaltender he can be. You can speculate on it. You can choose to feel good about it, but you don't actually know it. So, yeah, lots of variables in this. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. I had a good talk on this particular topic with my friend Phil Bork, of course, the former Stanley Cup champion and color commentator for the Penguins. And his viewpoint, which I found interesting, was that you bring back DeSmith, you pay him whatever it was that he was just getting paid. He's going to be happy to take an NHL paycheck. You accept that he is what he is. You know you can trust him from the work ethic standpoint. You know he's not going to you know, help you get a Jennings trophy, but you know that he's going to be there. He's going to be reliable. And then I came back to that, and you know I don't really like to do this because it's painting someone as injury prone or whatever. But this is now two years in a row. Let's not forget in which DeSmith sustained a serious injury right as the playoffs were either about to start, or obviously in the game one double overtime just after they had started. I have no idea what to read into that uh, beyond, you know, that it's a crushing coincidence. But I also know that it's not great. And I know that away from cameras and microphones, sports executives do talk about openly with each other, hey, so-and-so seems to get hurt quite a lot. Can we really afford this? The only thing we're really looking for from our backup goaltender is for him to just be there. And this was two playoffs in a row where in the first, when Jari didn't perform well, you're looking at, and I don't even remember the dude's name. You might. Whoever was sitting on the folding chair through that whole Islander series, he knew he had absolutely no chance whatsoever of being called on by Mike Sullivan. I'm sure it'll come to me at some point. But you know who I'm talking about, just random dude sitting on a folding chair. Well, this year, random dude sitting on the folding chair was Louis Deming out in the runway at Madison Square Garden. Louis comes in, he makes 17 saves, everybody gets excited, spicy pork and broccoli or whatever that was, and Louis wasn't any good. Louis just was not good. And you were left with the same situation again. You were left with, man, if only the backup goaltender had been in there, the team would have at least been competitive and possibly, in this case, likely advanced through the first round. Casey DeSmith is a significantly better goaltender than Louis Domingue. If he'd stayed healthy, Penguins are still playing right now. So lots of stuff to think about there. When we come back, just one question.
And today's J1Q will come from Carmen. Actually, you know what? Before I read that, I feel like it's worth noting that I had a commercial break here and I still didn't go look up whoever that was on the folding chair. It just doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, the J1Q comes from Carmen, who says, I enjoyed Tuesday's podcast as always, and it brought up a question for me. Who is primarily responsible for player development across the roster? Is it the coach or the GM? Hmm. Well, let's put it this way, because for anybody who didn't hear that episode, it was entirely focused on players who were at Wilkes-Barre Scranton this past season who might have a chance to make it up to Pittsburgh. When you talk about development, and this doesn't just apply to hockey, it's, it's to all sports. Inside the world of sports, they're referring to players slash prospects who are not yet in the majors. Uh, development is not a word that you hear used in the major leagues. Nobody is developing, you know, Brian Rust or Jake Gensel, and not even after they get to the NHL, at least not once they're established. If they're still bouncing back and forth on the Radim Zahorna shuttle between here and Northeast PA, that's a little bit different. There's still development involved. So start with that. Put development over into this bracket over here that's minor leagues. And from there, you've got Scott Young. He is the director of player development. He oversees not just what happens in Wilkes-Barre, Scranton, and to an infinitely lesser extent, uh, Wheeling. He also oversees all of the various other properties that the Penguins have in European leagues, in Canadian junior leagues, in U.S. junior leagues, which are now a bigger deal than ever. And, of course, in colleges. He does the flying. He puts into place, this is the way the Penguins do things. He speaks with those players' respective coaches of their current teams and gets feedback from them, offers advice of his own. That's his role. But if you're talking about some universal development that goes across the board, it, it really doesn't exist. There is a way to play Penguins hockey. That comes from Mike Sullivan. I mean, kind of a no-brainer. And players are taught certain things, even at the lower levels, that are aimed at preparing them aspects of what has to be done. Uh, Sam Lafferty and I had a really good conversation about this three years ago in Winnipeg, not long after you know Sam came up. And you recall, Sam came up with a little bit of a splash. He scored a couple of goals, uh, including up there. And Sam told me that the guy that everybody was shown on video through the minor league system as to how to play the right way per this head coach was Brian Rust. The goal was for everyone to become Brian Rust, meaning be able to do everything, continue improving. Rusty, when he came up, was kind of an offensive guy. He couldn't pass at all, didn't even really want to pass. 
wasn't all that great defensively, certainly wasn't someone you'd ever have dreamed would end up on any power play, much less a really productive member of the first unit. But Rust became all of those things. So when you saw that statement from Hextall the other day upon signing Rust, essentially to a lifetime contract, and he said, Brian Rust is everything that it means to be a Pittsburgh Penguin. He's not doing that for the sake of the press release. He's doing that because it's the message that they send to their prospects, and they were doing that under Jim Rutherford as well. I am probably not answering your question here. That's mostly because it doesn't have the answer that you're looking for. It's more spread out than how it sounds, but there is a general philosophy that's attached. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do one more of these this week tomorrow. Thank you.